Welcome to Anti-Racism for Lunch, where I, Sandra, a Black woman, and I, Kat, a white woman, have real dialogue about race where we are taking a bite out of racism one conversation at a time. So grab your lunch, sit back, and join our conversation. Welcome to Anti-Racism for Lunch. Today we're sitting around talking about truth and consequences. The question of the day, do we say what we really want to say even though we know it will have consequences for our relationships and all of the power that our relationships hold or don't hold? And how does silence or speaking up play out differently as a black woman and as a white woman? That's a, that's a weighty topic for, for our first podcast. Um, I think when I was first thinking about this topic, I thought, well, you could call it truth and consequences, but for me as a white woman, you could also call it white silence, which I've, um, which people talk about the, the condition or the circumstance with which white people tend to not step into a conversation about race, not show up, not interrupt um, offensive speech or things that are being said or done in the moment. And the white silence label kind of, you know, yes, white people, you need to speak up. And at the same time, there are some real consequences that white people face, too. And I don't think white people always talk about those. In fact, sometimes white people say, oh, no, no no harm will come to me. No harm will come to me at all. And I actually don't think that's true. I think like when I think about the times I haven't spoken up, it's because I know at a very visceral level that speaking up will change my relationship with that person. Like I'll know, I know immediately without even having to say anything that, um, you know, I might, I can feel it in my body too, but I I know that I'm risking my relationship with that person. They're going to think differently of me. They're going to think, oh, I'm like one of those bleeding heart liberals or, you know, everything else I say after that will be discounted or, or maybe they'll go into like attack mode and then come back with an argument that I can't refute without having to check my facts. And I don't have my dictionary ready to go, you know? (laughs) I don't have my fact list already, my research basis. Um, And this is just in just, you know, regular day-to-day conversations. Um, So yeah, I think there are consequences. And, you know, those are just for interpersonal relationships. But, you know, in a work environment, if I say something to my boss, there might be potential consequences there that, you know, I might not be, they might not choose me for a promotion. I might not get that next project because I'm now the problem person, right? Yeah, the problem. That's typically, so does, is there consequences? Do we say or not say what we should say or thinking we should say? I would say oftentimes I, I weigh it out. So depends on the situation, depends on, like at work, what I say at work, if, if there was a misstep or they were going down the wrong, wrong, wrong direction, would I say something? I think I weigh it out. Like, what, what are the consequences? Is it a, is it the price I'm willing to pay? Um, interpersonal, same thing. I think it's the same thing. Um, I think I'm more worried about the attack than I am about the change of the relationship. And what are the consequences? Well, let's talk about those for a minute. Like, what are the consequences that I'm going to face as a white woman as compared to the consequences that you're going to face as a black woman? 
well, I'm going to carry a label, like depending on how passionate the conversation is on what I'm speaking up about, it could be that now I'm now going to carry that stereotype, the angry black woman, because I went from speaking up to trying to argue the point, And then because I have, I'm strong in my conviction, it comes across as not passionate sometimes as angry. So then the next time we have a discussion about something else, I probably may not say something. So a couple of things there. One, we are going to talk about tone policing in a future podcast. In fact, it might be the next one because it so relates. Like it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it, right? And then the control factor over how you say things. But the other thing that strikes me there is the the concept of stereotype threat that people have talked about <clears throat> where um, I don't face that. I don't face stereotype threat of you know, if I speak up, okay, bleeding heart liberal, that's not really a stereotype, right? Uh But angry black woman is a really harmful stereotype that immediately pigeonholes you. So if you don't want to be that, you're going to avoid that label by not speaking up. You're going to avoid stereo. It's stereo. That's what stereotype threat is. And you're going to avoid that label being placed on you and not do the behavior that people associate with that. Well, not do the assumed behavior that people associate with that, right? Because I could just be as concerned, as passionate as the next person, but because I did this, I reacted in a way that came across to someone else as angry. Every time there's anything with any emotion, that's just going to divert back to angry. <laughs> Whether it's because you're black, or not. yeah, I'm not going to get that label angry. Well, no, I might get some other labels <laughs> that I won't mention on the podcast. Yeah, no. Um, uh, so what other consequences? Um, for me, the highest risk is probably the label, right? Especially when you're in leadership roles. So that one is probably because then you're like hard to work with because you get angry all the time or um, you're hard to work with because you challenge everything. Whether you challenge everything or not, you may have Just challenging things once will then be extended to every other thing and all of a sudden you're angry and you're hard to work with across the board. Across the board. Or people then treat you with like kit gloves. When a big decision is coming up, they they come to you first before they approach the whole group because they want to workshop where you are in the the decision making before we, we launch it with the group just so they know where you are. So it's almost like speaking up even once extends that whatever judgment someone has that you're speaking up to, to the whole of your being and to the whole of your existence. Whereas with me, it's almost like episodic. Like I'm going to have this conversation with someone and, you know, they could very easily crack it up to, you know, it's a moment. It's not going to be extended to my whole being. Right. In the same way. I'm carrying every one of those every time, depending on who. So if I have the... If I have one of these speaking up and let's be clear, like racially speaking up or like equity speaking up, if it's one of those conversations and I'm there's a not necessarily a disagreement, but a like clearing the path every time we have a discussion within with those same that same subset of people, it's going to revert back to, oh, remember that time. So we got to be careful when we walk down this road because she's going to blow or she's going to not agree or. And so I carry that with every with every interaction around a topic that could be questionable or that needs to be cleared out around race or equity or just 
anything that may be a little heated with this subset, it you carry each one of those decisions. So each time you speak up. So are there consequences? Yeah, because I then I also walk into that like, oh, the last time we talked about this, they probably think this. And then now I enter the conversation differently the second time around. And then then the third time around. And so by the fourth time around, if it's true that they have now pigeonholed me into this angry black woman or this disagreeable, not easy to work with, probably by the third conversation or fourth conversation, I'm probably not offering up as much as I would have with the first conversation or the second conversation. So the um, the pushback is now having a... It just depends on the investment. How much investment do I want to put in? Yeah. Is it worth it? So sometimes... Some of the consequences are, for me, I go. It, it results into a go along to get along, mm-hmm. or um, not. It's like you mentioned in the in our intro. It's on that moving walkway. I've gone from walking to stepping over and just riding because I can't walk backwards right now. No, because it's just too much energy, too much, too much. Then which makes it more exhausting because now right. you got to go home and like. I should have said this. I didn't say this. Then you beat yourself up yes. for not saying something. I know I've had that experience too. Where and it, not, you know, I'm I tend to be an introvert by nature, <laughs> so I think of things in my head all the time. Um, but I'm not like the person who has the quick response. That's not me. I'm not the person who's got all the all the arguments ready to go. I would fail miserably in a debate club. <laughs> I'm the person who, you know, after you know, after I leave the situation, then I'm like, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that. And then the next time it rolls around, actually I forget about all that stuff and I'm back in the same position again. So it really requires practice. Um, so for me, it's different. So I can come with a quick response, but what is what is hard for me is the delivery, right? So that it's the delivery because in the moment, it's like, this is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm saying. But then when I get home or get away from the situation, it's like, oh, you could have worded that differently. Oh, it's the reverse. <laughs> like, is it like then again related to like, oh, how, how is that received uh-huh. and how is that going to, It's the how is that going to hurt me yes. because of how I said it? Exactly. So then it's like. So you've never said it right. Typically, because it's like, how, then how it's like, mm, hi, I need. I, I could have said that. Never I been have said good that. enough. Never been the right way. Never been because the the reception of how it's delivered, right? It's a it, which will be our next one. The, the tone policing. The reception of how it's delivered is then what then builds the stereotype or right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we have the kind of opposite experiences on that. You'll beat yourself up after the fact for having said something or said it the right or the wrong way or how the how the how how it was and I'll beat myself up for not having said something and that I should have said something and this is what I should have said and how and now I don't actually think about the how after the fact sometimes I do because you know you also then there's this issue of there is an issue of how how you talk to people um and I think maybe we'll get into that with tone policing a bit um you know, extending grace to people, not, you know, people make mistakes. So they do, they do stick their feet, their foot in their mouth and they do make mistakes. How much um, grace do you, how much grace do you extend to a person? That's a good question. That's one of my, like, you can't ask for grace every time we're getting ready to get into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Every time we're going to discuss something, every time we're going down a path or you potentially, if you know ahead of time that you're potentially going to step in it, every time we get ready to discuss anything, 
that should tell you that you need to do some work before coming to the table. I can think of one particular person that I interact with that we lead together. And every time we know we're going to be discussing something that potentially could be racially charged, every single time she asks for grace. It's like, how much grace can you give a person? That's a good question. So I agree that you give someone grace. You you give situations grace. But if we're in conversations for 12 months, 24 months, at some point you're grace. It does depend, I think, on the relationship So and the length of it, which is another question. And one of the questions that we had underlying this podcast is like, when we talk about situations in our lives, um, you know, we've both had some experiences where we've worked with groups where we've been told we're too outspoken. And do you name those groups in a podcast? That's the, the kind of the truth part. Or do you not? Because you know that there will be consequences if you do. And, you know, how, 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 ex- you know, I, I don't want to use the word explicit, but how descriptive are you in that? Do you, you know, that gets into calling out versus calling in as well, which will probably be another future podcast. <laughs> um, I think it, I think we, it's, I think it's the risk and the benefit, right? Like if, if, if naming or being specific is risky, how big is the risk? I right. mean, potentially if, if naming is the only risk, like that will, that could harm the relationship then maybe we weigh it out a little more. But if it's only, it's one of the uh, 19 different ways that we're already risking the relationship, I don't know if we then skirt away from it. Like, I don't know. I think it just depends. It depends on the situation. And yeah, I think it depends on the situation and the risk and the benefit. So I'm noticing here too that your risk analysis is different than my risk analysis as a white woman. Your risk analysis as a black woman is constant every moment, every second of every day in almost every situation. Yeah, my risk, unless I'm at home or with family or Uh with my close knit circle, I think everything is weighed out. I think it's just a way of life, right? Like it's a way of life. For you. Yeah, for me. My risk assessment is only at those moments <laughs> where I see, happen to see something or hear something happening, then I have to do the risk analysis. But they're sporadic, right? They're like here and there. It's not every moment. Oh no, mine are, yeah. If I'm not at home, they're all the time. If I'm not at home or at home with family, yeah. I think I spend a lot of time on weighing out how things are gonna play out. I think that's why even at work, like I love my job, but I think about just typical meetings, like how do I speak up? When do I speak up? So on those days where I'm back to back meetings, like those days are exhausting and the meetings could be benign, but I'm doing my own tone policing and I'm doing my own weighing when to speak up or when not to speak up. Or even if like the speak up has nothing to do with the meeting, it could be a meeting about numbers and someone made a reference to those people in that place has nothing to do with the numbers but the reference to the people is something that should be addressed and it's just like is this the first meeting of the day it's like a big else's else in the wonder hand <laughs> wonderland rabbit hole 
yeah. nonstop. How deep does the rabbit hole go? So it, just, it never ends. So it just depends. So for me, that's why I always like, um, I always say it depends on if the investment is worth it. Like, is it worth it to address this right now? Am I going to have to interact with this person again today or tomorrow? Maybe. If, but if it's a one-off, I probably won't say anything. It just depends on where it is. I know. I think white people are sometimes shocked when they realize how well black people know them. Because, you know, as a white person, I haven't been acculturated or socialized or trained or even through my own lived experience, I haven't needed to know what was going on for black people. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been necessary for my survival, for my, you know, just to navigate life. I haven't needed to do that. And so I don't. I don't do that. Not to mention that, you know, there's a you know pervasive lack of importance <laughs> that white people generally have been placing on black people in particular. And so the, the contrast between those two experiences of mine not having to, to really think about that at all, unless I choose to, unless I want to, unless I see it and feel moved to, versus um, a black person's experience of having to do that 24 seven, pretty much all the time, unless you're in comfort space. Mm-hmm. And that contrast, it's really bicultural or multicultural in its root. And the way you put it, like, and I, I don't know that anyone explicitly taught me to do that thing, right? It taught me to learn white people. It's, it's a thing you just do. Maybe, you have to. Maybe once or twice have someone say, like, watch for this or look for that. But I think it's just, it's just life. Like, as you, like, I don't, I don't. I don't even know that I've told, I try to think about when raising the boys, did we explicitly say anything? I mean, the police conversation is probably the most explicit conversation we've had. I don't know that we've explicitly said, now you watch for this and this means that. I don't think we've done (laughs) that. You don't have to. You like learn it moment by moment growing up, just watching. No, but it it is something like my close friends and I talk about, like how people are shocked, like how white people seem to be shocked now when black people say, oh, no, we know that already. Like, we, we know you. <laughs> right. Like, we knew that was coming. We saw that. We know you really well because we've seen it yeah, and a so, million times. Or how this work comes so easy for you or why you're so frustrated. And it's like, because we don't understand why you don't know because we know. <laughs> like, we know what the buttons are. We know what triggers. You know, we... It just we you've had to work around us your yeah. entire life. Yeah. So I mean it and it plays into this truth or consequences, right? Like do you tell the truth? Do you tell do you suffer the consequences consequences? I think it depends on what's at the end of that. Like is that after the consequences are gonna be a rewarding situation? Is it gonna be a positive outcome? Is it gonna get you where you need to be? Then yes. So what's your advice for other black folks who are navigating this? What can they take away from this? I think they're already doing it. I think for most black folks, we're we are already doing that like that. We're already weighing it out. We're weighing out whether to speak up, whether not to speak up. Um, I think now in this moment, I think tempering less. Like I think in those personal relationships, if they're meant to last and you hold back, I think those are the places you push harder. Like. I think those would be the places I would speak up more. The places that I would let things slide, be like, oh, they're my friend. They, I know what they meant, but they didn't really mean that. Or I've worked with them a really long time, so 
extending grace, but I've always extended this person grace and I never like, hey, you know, you should really stop doing that. I think in those areas would be to, I would, I would push more. I, even just walking through this now, I'm thinking about just a few people that I don't typically do, but I have long lasting relationships, friendships, some kind of acquaintance with that I just let slide. That I think now is like, okay, if this is true, the risk in it is okay, that person getting offended or hurt and then relationship changing, but to at what cost? Do I continue to carry it? I don't think so. So I think I think I would attempt to push more in my personal spaces now than at like my professional spaces. Like if it's gonna cost me my paycheck, I probably am not gonna just be like, hey, you know what? I had this podcast this week and I'm, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, yeah, so I think you push in the places that you you can take that risk and if, if if it's personal, if it's a friend, they should be able to hear what you're saying. Maybe get mad, but they should be able to circle back around and be like, I heard what you said. Either they agree or they disagree, and then you can continue the conversation. So, yeah, if I were to say, if I were to offer any advice, it would be like push more in your personal spaces. Because they're your personal, they're supposed to be the space of safety, right? Your personal spaces. So push there. You shouldn't be carrying the weight of your personal, like your personal relationship shouldn't be heavy. What about you? Um, I think it's from a personal relationship standpoint or kind of those everyday interactions, I think. I've heard from a lot of white people that they get that kind of like deer caught in the headlights paralysis moment because um, they also like are like grasping for the right thing to say in the moment and I think for those moments it's just slow down just slow down you don't have to have the right thing to say all you have to do is say something you know just you know if someone says something offensive all you have to do is say can you repeat that that's it. You don't even have to have a quick response. I didn't hear you. What did you say? And then that gives you a moment to like think about it and take a moment and then ask them a question. Why did you say that? What does that mean? I mean, it could be as simple as that. And then you're at least putting a, a stop on that kind of um, that run of what it, wherever that's going to go. And you're pointing out that it's not okay to you. Um, I think like from a work perspective, I think it's super important it's like even more important in some ways for white people to speak up because those that's where policies are set that's like where like people make decisions that have ripple effects for multiple people and so for me as a white person if I see something and don't say something it's not just about the one person it's about like 10 or 15 or 100 people who are going to be impacted by that so I feel like that's that's where you really have to stand up and say something. Now, you, you'll have time, though, I think, to say something on that. You can think about that a little bit more. You don't have to say it in the moment. You can circle back around and say, hey, I think this policy might be problematic. I'd like to take a look at this or, you know, whatever that is. I think that is a good, a good piece of advice because when that happens at work, um, I do. I, lead, I lean on my white coworkers often. So if something may happen in a meeting, and then I won't say something in the meeting and then I'll circle around to like three or four people that I know really well and say, hey, in that meeting, did you catch X and say, why is that? I mean, I do a lot of that. Like, yeah. hey, this right. happened today. 
Right, that's the, the role of the person who carries some power and privilege mm -hmm. in that particular situation. And mm -hmm. I know so many times I've been in situations where, you know, white people aren't speaking up. And people look around for the people of color. Is that okay? You know, there's like the eye contact, it, right? Is this right? And it's on people of color to speak up, and that's not fair. It's, and it's we often sit in those same meetings and look at each other, and we're like I don't know why they're looking at me. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, it's so so important that white people speak up in those times. Even more important. We've talked a lot today about the how, how of what we're talking about um, with um, truth and consequences like how something is said, how do you bring it up, and um, that relates directly to tone policing. So we're looking forward to our next, next podcast, which will be on tone policing. Stay that tuned. Be, that should be fun. If we sparked your mind, body, or spirit today on issues involving race, hit like, share it out, connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Got a question you'd like to see us tackle? Send us an email at antiracismforlunch at gmail.com. No hyphen. Thanks. We hope you'll join us again soon.